guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. Hey, how are you? Hey, uh, how's it going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's the Bitch Sea Podcast. I'm Lissa. And I'm Phil. And uh, we want to thank you for uh, tuning in and uh, downloading the podcast. and uh, Download you know, the episodes, telling your friends. You know, we give this to you completely free. So we hope that you uh, stay through the ads that we don't run because we don't have any ads and yet. And also pay it forward. You know pay what I mean? Forward, like yeah. we're giving you something for free. Maybe you should give somebody else something for free. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, water or like a coffee. Yeah, you know that's a thing. That's a that's a thing that's popular now. People like buying the thing for the person behind them in line, like that at McDonald's a, or that something. That was a popular thing at Starbucks when I was there, but it only happened once when I was there. Uh, they always said it was a popular thing, but it only happened. Well, a few the times. more the more the wealth gap expands, maybe the more, uh, you know. Hey, listen! When we finally get rich, our ceiling is now up to six trillion dollars. Here's the deal: if I ever get rich, let it be known. I'm saying it out loud. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna surprise people with with money all the time. I want to be the person who who goes to a restaurant and whose check is like twenty five dollars, and I leave a hundred dollar tip. Like that a, is who I want to be. You're like a millennial Elvis Presley. I am not a millennial. So we gotta stop that. Sorry, fine. I was Zen- born in eighty two. I'm a zennial. This is the new micro generation people are talking you about. You are just a lost samurai on the landscape of this horrible world we live in. Without a generation. No, we have a generation. They just coined it. It's called Zenial with an X. Okay. And it's like this micro generation between, right. if you're born between like 77 and 84, you're not Generation X, you're not a millennial, and you're sort of in the middle. And it's because the same things that we talk about all the time straddling the analog and digital that we came of age yes. when AOL dial up happened. All millennials. A lot of millennials came of age around that no, time, too. No, but millennial is such a large category that people born at the later but e- end of millennials... Can I finish The people no. born at the, le- the later end of millennials are don't know life without the internet. We know life without the internet. Yes, That's what but, makes us different. But you're discounting the people who were born in like April of 84 or like June of 84 or anyone who's... No, it's, it goes through 84. It might actually go through 86 now that I think about it. Oh, okay. Or right, so good because you know these rules are loose. Um, Listen, if you want to identify as a millennial, you go ahead and do that. I will. It's just not me. I feel older in lots of ways. I feel older in lots of ways too, and it's mostly probably due to mental illness. (laughs) So take that. Or we're old souls. You know, we've been around this planet a few more times. Like we had some privileged, privileged upbringings, privileged enough to say that maybe we. Well, you know, privileged materially, but maybe not as privileged I think emotionally. That, I don't think I'm an old soul. I think my soul is going through a midlife crisis. I think I'm just going oh, over the You're a middle-aged soul? Going, going over the hump of middle age. I know a lot of old souls. I'm not one of them, but I'm definitely not a new soul. I feel like I've had a few. I have a feeling that our guest today, uh, Mr. Buckball, is 
quite an old soul. Oh, yeah. Has been around this globe many, many, many thousands of times. Um, and I That cannot... was a good segue. Thank you. I'm a professional. Uh, so, before we get to that, Phil, yeah. I would like to share uh, an entry from uh, August 24th, 1997. 1997-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7-7
of myself because you will be in control yourself. But you see what you're doing right now is you're negating my, my own agency by telling me exactly how it's going to go. Because I because, – yeah, I want you to take more agency. I want you to fight back a little bit. I do. Slap me around a little I'm bit. I'm not going to slap you around. Mentally. I do that. You don't. I did that yesterday. <laughs> I, do. I do. that. No, you don't. Um, but listen, you're very powerful. You have agency. You're independent. You're a big boy. Okay. And now I'm <laughs> going to read this journal entry. Great. I love you and your hair is perfect. The, the listeners can't see, but your hair is flawless. Somebody take a picture because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> take a selfie. I'm not taking That's a what selfie. millennials do. Uh, okay. Sunday, August 24th, God. 1997. Dimitri, this is Dimitri here. Well, here I am again, nestled in the soft, lonely glow of my room at 327 Jefferson Drive. Although I feel I was only just saying how school was nearly over, I am now enjoying the very final week of summer, 97. I am in the home stretch. On September 2nd, a Tuesday, my career as a freshman will begin. What a scary thought. Thursday, to my unfortunate distress, my schedule arrived in the mail. But there was a major problem. They didn't put me in no bass. By the way, no bass was the all the all women's choir. The class I was most looking forward to. It was to be my only elective. Now, in place of it, I have an unwanted study hall. I panicked. I had an unwanted study hall. Hashtag predictable. As usual, my mother came to my rescue. She called the school and talked to my new guidance counselor, Eric Spencer, whoever that is. He promised to do everything in his power to switch me into no base. After that, I felt relieved. But oh, I have the orientation and the tour of the school on Tuesday. Where has my summer vacation disappeared to? Until Tuesday, I have a couple more, actually just one, days to cool it and relax and see Allison, who returned from Florida today uh, when I returned from New Jersey. Speaking of, wow, that was a fun weekend down in NJ. Oh, yeah, you'll enjoy this, Phil. On the way up, I had been worrying a bit. What could I possibly find to talk to Randy about? Okay, so, sorry, a disclaimer. Randy, who I'm still in touch with now, she's a girl, not boy Randy. Girl Randy is the daughter of one of my dad's best friends ever, David. So uh, the four of us, the me and my dad and Randy and her dad went on this trip. Okay. To me, an awkward silence has always seemed worse than even a fight. In the end, it turned out Randy and I were everything but short of conversation topics. When my father and I first arrived, the only one home was David. That's Randy's dad. Sue Ann, her mom, had gone to pick up Randy from morning band camp. Nearly the second she returned home, the phone rang, and it was Pam. Uh, I'm going to drop a lot of names here that are basically Randy's friends in New Jersey that she let me be friends with as well. Do you think I'm going to know one of them? No. Okay. I mean, they're all from Edison, so maybe. Randy's from Edison, New Jersey. So you might know all of her friends. Chris Aurelio probably would know them all. Okay, nearly the second she returned home, the phone rang, and it was Pam. So Randy and I both got on. Pam, well, spam, remembered who I was, and that was cool. After that, we went, on, we went online for a little while to chat. <laughs> At 5 o'clock, all five of us went over to Moose's house for dinner. Moose is one of my dad's other best friends. His name is actually Lenny. Bonnie was good as new. She had been sick. Bonnie's a dog. Sam and Jen were to... I'm sorry. This is literally a list of, of names, but eventually I'll get it's a, to... It's a pinball of we met this person and this person and then the nicknames that we don't even have okay, the context blah, 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 blah. Okay. Bonnie was good as new. She had been sick. Sam and Jen were talking about colleges they'd visited. They are seniors. And Janet, who was their mom, as usual, looked stunning. At dinner, when Janet served salmon, Randy and I guiltily ate our ham blimp, 
blimpies. Neither one of us are fish people. Then we went to Grand Slam, this sports place, to watch David's roller hockey team play a game, which they won in an overtime. Randy had been a bit disappointed because she'd wanted to show me Mike Petruzzi, a hottie, in person, but he never showed up. The... <laughs> Mike Dundarski and his senior bro, Kevin, uh, or in parentheses, BSB, butt shaker boy, I have no idea why he was called that, I'm sorry, were at band camp along with Pam and Sandy. However, I spied on Randy's pal, Brian Rake, who I personally think is not bad, if you get my drift, and her neighbor, Stephen Sallett, who I've never met before. He is hotter than ever. Also, I finally got to see the famous Jim McGrath in person. Whoa, major hottie. Kim agreed. <laughs> I haven't mentioned Kim yet, you can hit it. Speaking of Kim, she showed up about halfway through the game, and we had a little reunion. But then I had to break down, break the awful news to her. Actually, I was surprised she didn't know already, her having been Danielle's roommate and all. Danielle's father passed away last week. Yes, it came as a complete shock to me when Callie told me in an email. See, Callie's sister, Colby, knows Danielle's brother, Jeff from college, and I guess they keep in touch. It is unbelievably sad. He was only 49, and he had a heart attack in his sleep when the family was in Europe. Oh my God, that's awful. When I told Kim, she was just as alarmed as I had been. I couldn't believe she didn't know yet. Then again, who could have told her? Callie doesn't really talk to Kim, and basically nobody else knows yet. Anyway, after the game, the three of us went back to Randy's. Basically, until Kim left, we were online, which was fine with me. And this is like classic America online. My screen name was Bloomin422. <clears throat> we went into chat rooms and quacked at people. We quacked at people and called them hicks. We listened to the Backstreet Boys CD, which is pretty good. Then we pretended we were Hanson. <laughs> Randy was Isaac, a.k.a. Goat Boy. Kim was Taylor. She can sing like him. And I was Zach. Come on, you know who Hanson is. You don't have to ding for them. But they're in the story, too, and it's like they were just, oh, yeah, by the way, Hanson was here. We sang over the CD. Then Randy played the Spice Girl CD so Kim and I could sing the the Will song for Randy. Hmm. We still never made up all the words to it. Oh, well. It was sad when Kim left. Who knows when I will see her again? Dad said that sometime this year Kim and Randy could both come up for a weekend and I could take them to a football game or something. The daddies came home from Temple soon after Kim left. They brought a pizza. So everyone had a late night snack. Randy and I went back online for a little while before retiring to her room and watching The Mighty Ducks. She knows everything about those movies. She's also, she was obsessed with hockey. Anyway, so ended day one. The next day we woke up at 7.45 to get ready for the trip to Pennsylvania. Went online first, of course, listening to the Backstreet Boys, and talked to Pam, who tried to make Randy jealous that she hadn't gone to band camp the night before. She told funny stories about BSB. Randy thought some were a little far-fetched. Uh, it's like I have to give a play-by-play of every single second of what happened. I'm so sorry, but also not. This is why I've never read this one before. After gathering all our stuff up, the daddies ushered us into the car, and we were off to Allentown. When we first hit the line of Pennsylvania, Randy and I started to see farms. Hicks, we said. Total Hickville. Every time we spotted a house, Randy would shout, Whoa, look, it's a house! They were so few and far between that it was a miracle to see one. However, we're just so fucking snobby Northeasterners. However, spotting houses became a silly obsession with us. Even when we found our way back to civilization, we still went nuts when we spotted a house. So anyway, <laughs> when we arrived at the park, it was rather cloudy and only 68 degrees. But that didn't stop Randy and myself from going on every water ride in the park. We decided to do the water rides first, just in case it was going to get to rain later. They were really fun. After we went on all of them about five times, we started to freeze our butts off. So then we decided to change. 
we were starved. By the time we'd gotten our lunch and were eating it, the rain had started to fall. That was okay, though, because we sat in this pavilion thing. It had a roof. <laughs> the minute we finished uh, our lunch, the rain miraculously halted, and the sun shone. Perfect timing. So after lunch, we headed to the actual park to ride all the coasters. And that's what we did. We rode every roller coaster in Dorney Park, including the new one, Steel Force, the longest, tallest, fastest coaster in the Northeast. The first drop is so steep and 205 feet down. It was awesome. After Dorney Park, our day was unbelievably not over yet. When we arrived back in Edison at Randy's house, we went online, as usual, and chatted with lots of people. About ten different people were IMing us all at one time, which was hectic and confusing, but of course, hysterical and fun. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. We all went out to dinner at Chili's, which proved to be the best part of the trip. Randy was hoping to show me who Chris Ackerman was. Thank you. Because he worked there some nights. He is supposedly this really hot senior, Brian Ackerman's brother. Of course, just our luck, it was his night off. But we had the absolute best time there anyway. The daddies were belching all the way through our fattening but delicious dinner. We had a chicken fajita pita. Randy and I were getting a major caffeine high from our Diet Coke, of which we had a whole pitcher. She whispered something to me about the butt shaker boy, but I misheard it and thought she said butt chicken, which made us get really silly. It was the inside joke of the moment. After dinner, we couldn't seem to settle down. We spazzed out all the way back to Edison in the car. When we got back, Randy and I went online and listened to the Backstreet Boys CD again. Before we went to bed that night, Randy turned on the second Mighty Ducks movie, and right before we went to sleep, we called each other butt chickens and hicks and quacked and mooed at each other. Finally, after another long day, we said goodnight. The next morning, we woke up around 9, but stayed in our beds until 9.30, watching the rest of the movie. When we were finally dragged, when we finally dragged ourselves out of the room, we went straight for the computer where I, where we, I am'd Spam, who said she had some exciting stories about BSB and some other guys. So we decided to call her. She told us all these stories of her and BSB getting to be all chummy at band camp. Randy mouthed bullshit to me. I was not surprised. Anyway, then I decided to shower because my dad was pissed that we hadn't left earlier as planned. After I showered and packed, Randy and I sat down and ate breakfast finally. When we finally hit the road to Connecticut, it was pretty sad. I just wanted to stay and live in Edison so I could see Randy and Kim and Spam and BSB and Petruzzi and Dundarski and Brian Rake and Stephen Sallett every day. Love, LMM. This was the most teenage entry. I know. And that's why I never read it because I feel like it's not very – It's the. it is. It's very teenage. I hated the ba- – full disclosure – I hated the Backstreet Boys, but Randy was obsessed with them, and I was really, I just wanted us to have a good time, so I listened to it a lot, but I really hated yeah, it. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You know what, you still made fun of farms, you know, and we're, you know, just... Uh, and Hicks. And Hicks. And it was like, it played like an episode of True Blood, because you introduced all these characters that had no effect on the story. Um, it was, I'm, I I... I love this entry. I want Buck Ball to give storytelling notes on it to well, 13 the re- year Well, the reason why I wanted to read it was because, yes, Buck <laughs> Buck is a storyteller. He is a brilliant teacher. He is truly a genius. And I wanted to read this, this one for him specifically because there are so many details on it. And he always talks about time traveling in order to tell stories, remembering all of those details and bringing them up because the more specific you get, the, the richer it is, usually the funnier it is. And... Um, it's not a very it's not a very Alyssa entry because it doesn't talk about feelings so much. But it's but, a, it's an important entry. But I it's think. an important entry, and I had a great week. I had a positive, non depressed weekend. Weird. Anyway, now that Buck has been so patiently sitting here, he's like twitching. He's he's like probably going to pee his pants by now. Um, 
ladies and gentlemen, give a warm listening ear to Buck Ball. Okay, so we see Buck. Where do we see Buck? We see Buck. He's uh, he's at a barbecue. At a barbecue and in that's, a giant open field. That's sort of like na 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 na. It's like going with like the air of the of the smoke coming out of the barbecue, and he's like he's playing catch with himself. He's playing catch with himself. There are lots of dogs running around. There are children with like stains all over their shirts and Buck is playing catch and observing them all and twirling his non-existent mustache because someday he dreams of having a long mustache and he tips his cowboy hat also imaginary also imaginary ladies and gentlemen Buck Paul <laughs> hi Buck hey thank y'all for having me thanks for your for your very long patience I, I loved it I love that journal entry it's the one thing that I always really love about you is uh, how vivid you create relationships in your storytelling just by, like, um, how you'll you'll do a turn of phrase with, like, adding a nickname. Like, how you did the <laughs> Pam, and then you're like, oh, but spam. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love how you do that a lot. And then uh, the daddies, how you kept doing that. It's so fun because uh, it's very vivid without having to work hard. I always say work smart, not hard. I won't work hard. I refuse to do it. That's right. My dad, uh, Stu J, who you love through stories, says uh, less and better. Less and better. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I thought that was great. I I love how um, a lot of times when you do destination things, uh, destination stories, it's always you from uh, like city you in whatever location oh, you yeah, are. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so funny how, how you're always like, um, a lot of times with kids, it's like, oh, I'm going to go and do this. But you're always like city girl in whatever location it's it's in. Yep, you can't take the you can't take the New York out of me. That's no. funny, and you're like Hicks, Hicks, Hicks. I know, and also I thought that was kind of funny because uh, I'm really excited to talk to you because I don't think that we've ever talked to somebody from Mississippi before. Oh wow! So this is uh, so I hope you didn't take too much offense. I was a snobby little kid. I mean, there's Hicks. Yeah, uh, there are Hicks, Hicks from the sticks. I Buck. I don't even know where to begin with you, but um, because I have so many questions. <laughs> You're from so where, Mississippi? To describe, set the scene of, of where Buckball grew up. Uh, well, okay, so I am from Starkville. Uh, it is the judicial seat of Octibaha County. Of a who? Octibaha County. Uh, it's O-K-T-I-B-B-E-H-A. Dang. It's um, it's an indigenous name for whatever the natives were of that uh, that area. Um, we pronounce it okay to be high. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm from Starkville, which is that. It is very stark, and it is a ville. Um, they have a local, well, state university. Mississippi State University is located there. Uh, home of the dogs. Yeah, sick them. Woo-woo. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an ag school that has, like, a really good vet program, and for some reason, aerospace engineering. Whoa. Random. Yeah. Well, NASA's, like, just a skip away in Huntsville, mm. so it's surprising. But, yeah, our aerospace engineering and our veterinary program are, like, top ten, mm-hmm. which is really weird. Well, vet thing isn't weird. Um, it's, like, 40,000 people. It's very, very small town, very, very, like, uh, Main Street USA feel to it. Mm-hmm. There's two schools. There's a public and a private. Um, and... It, it, everybody knows everybody. I mean, it very much is like Mayberry in that sense. Sure, sure. 
It's, um, it's our town. Yes, yes. That is a very good example. It is our town. There's like one of everything because uh, that's all you need. Like mm -hmm. we got one fast food restaurant of each and that's good. And there's some that haven't even made it our way yet. Um, we keep trying to put up a Popeye's, which I, I can't understand for the life of me won't work. Well, are there other fried chicken places that won't let it happen? Yeah, but they're not putting them out of business. It's just like the Popeyes just gets in it. They're like, oh, we got a new one, and then they just give up. I've, I've never known the Popeyes in Starkville, Mississippi, to have good service. <laughs> like, any, I've been there. They, we, we've tried four different times. Each time I go back, I'm like, oh, this is going to be it. This is the Popeyes. Like, I know. I can feel it, gang. Like, this is going to be the Popeyes that, that keeps. But it never is. I'm so sorry. Okay. Maybe you need to open your own. Oh my God! Can you please open Buckball's fried chicken? Oh, I would love that. That That'd would be, be so honestly, amazing. That would be a dream. So, Tiny Buck, um, what what did you live in one house growing up? Did you guys jump around to a couple houses? Did you have siblings? All these things. Um, I have an older sister. Her name is Betsy. Um, we are oh, Buck and Betsy, Betsy Ball. and Buck. Come on, that's adorable. It, yes, Adora Ball. It, yeah, girl. yeah, get it. <laughs> Get it, mama. Um, so, yeah, I have an older sister. We we jumped around a little bit at the beginning, but for the most part, I spent most of my youth in, in one home. I can count, like, a, a good good 16 or 17-year run in that house. Now my parents live in my grandfather's old house, which has been, like, cool. an heirloom to the family. Yeah, the house is, I think, 115 years old. Oh, dang. It's, yeah, it is. It's old. It's a nice house. My mom loves that thing. Um, but for the most part, we lived in one house, 104 Brook Avenue. Mm -hmm. It was, um, at the end of a cul-de-sac, it was a little blue house. I remember the only thing we really changed with it was the color of the shutters. Um, we had a walkway out front, uh, our front door we never used. We always used the garage door, but the front door had like this nice little stained glass piece on it. And the walkway was surrounded by monkey grass. And then my mom had like different flower arrangements. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's monkey grass? Among um, crabgrass. Uh, oh, the, po the really pointy, like the yeah. grass that hurts your bare feet. Yeah. Um, no, it's like the, they look like tendrils coming out of the ground. It can be um, a little bit sharp. It's just very decorative. Um, ah. But yeah, it's just like a bunch of little, little, they look like weeds almost coming out, but they make a definitive barrier. And mm -hmm. then within the, uh, that is the garden. It's little flowers. My mom loves rose bushes. There's always rose bushes by each door. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, that's always been like a main thing with my mom is roses. I remember when I was uh, five years old, it was like the first day of kindergarten. No, I might have been in preschool. But I asked my mom if I could take a rose to school, and I gave it to a girl. I gave it to Carrie Black. And I think... I don't, I don't remember why. We knew each other because our parents were friends, but I remember taking that rose for Carrie Black mm -hmm. on, like, the first day of preschool or kindergarten or something Aww. like that. Yeah, they everybody still talks about that. They're like, I remember when Buckball showed up with a rose what to happened kindergarten. To, and what happened with Carrie Black? Did uh, she accept it? Yeah, yeah, she accepted it. Uh, I believe she gave me a kiss. We were um, we were pretty kiss-tagged for, like, the first, first couple of years, the formative years. And then, um, and then you know, you turn eight. And then whoa differences. Yep. So, and then you had cooties. Yeah. 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 You know how it goes. You know. You know how it goes. We've all been there. Um, but yeah, that was basically my childhood home. Um, I lived in like the in between the guest bedroom and Betsy's bedroom on the back end. I had this big bay window in my room. Oh, it, that's amazing. It, uh, yeah, we lived right next to like some wooded area, so we just looked into woods, and then past the woods was a field, and it used to scare the shit out of me. Why? Just because, what did you like, think happened in that? field oh I, everything i knew happened in that field like it 
it was untouched by a lot of things. So like when the full moon would come through, like everything was just lit <gasps> and pale. Oh, and it was gorgeous. Amazing. And it was fun to run out there and like go and like chase fireflies and shit like that. But then after the witching hour, it's like, okay, fun's over, gang. Like now shit gets creepy in the woods. Like yeah. now you start to hear now it's all insects that you hear. Now yeah. it's like rustling. Like now the woods come to life. Like now this is when you should be in bed. Totally. And you can hear, you could hear all that through the window. Like you could hear like possums and raccoons, like animal fights, cat fights, things mm-hmm. like that. And it always just scared the shit out of me. And uh, my sister always convinced me. My sister played a lot of mean pranks on me. Um, yeah. Uh, so she told me that if you said werewolf three times on a full moon, a werewolf would come out. And I lived the closest to the woods. Oh, so it would get you first. Yeah. Oh, I would be the first one done. And, like, the scariest thing about that is, like, there would be times where we would go into the backyard and, like, cut on the lights before we let the dogs out. And there would be, like, coyotes and stuff like that in the backyard or deer in the backyard or other big dogs in the backyard. And, you'd like, that's what scared me the most is that there, it, it could have happened. Like, the possibility was there. Yeah. I, um, I li- my room also was, like, in the back of the house, and my windows looked out on the we, – we were up against woods, too. And it was very, like, Blair, Wood, Blair Witch-esque woods um, and, uh, and just darkness. And there was no field back there. It was just woods. And so I was just, like – I had to sleep with my lava lamp on. I never slept in the dark. It was too dark. I, I had to only be, like, complete dark. Like, I would put the pillow over my face. <laughs> so I would just be like, no, because anything anything and everything were eyes. Anything oh. and everything were coming to get me. Like, yeah. sounds, everything, yeah. anything. I was really big into, like, because I got in at an early age uh, into, like, scaring and, like, goosebumps and stuff like that. Like, I would devour these books. Did you read uh, Fear Street also or just the Goosebumps just guy? Just Goosebumps. Like, because once I once I graduated from R.L. Stein, I kind of slipped into Stephen King, which was a big mistake to do early, <laughs> which is a big mistake That's a big to jump. do early. It yeah. is. It is. Because also, like, the thing going on at that point in my mind was, like, because you see Stephen King on film and then you re- see him on paper or, or you see him. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way to put it is you always watch a Stephen King novel. Um so it's completely different because in the novels, I couldn't put it together because the people are always the worst thing. And then when you watch it on the movie, it's like, oh, they make the scary stuff. But then my my childhood mind was like, no, no, the scary. It's like, that's not the scary thing. And that really helped me cope with like fact and fiction, like reality uh, and nightmare. And mm-hmm. then it made me more terrified of people. Yeah, people are the worst. Yeah, they. they people are the monsters. We, they do some really Humans bad stuff. Are the monsters. Yeah. Um, that did you listen? Did you ever uh, read scary stories to tell in the dark when you were a kid? That was I feel like that was the the pre goose. That's like where ritual. the green ribbon came from, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, it was in there. Yeah, pre goosebumps. We read this in like elementary school. Yeah, that was the nightmare fuel right there. Can I talk about the scary stories series? It's like um, a black and white book with like the clown tree. No, no. I mean, like I will also remember at that point, like before goosebumps came along, we were real big into like. Um, uh, Cub Scouts, shit like that. So we would go camping, and like the dads always had a horror story or something like. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, so they would always like, and we did snipe hunting. So like we had our own way of <laughs> scaring each other. Like, do y'all know about snipe hunting? I mean, no, I can only imagine. I can only imagine there's guns. Oh 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 yeah. Yeah. Party pistols. You can only hunt snipe with party pistols. What the hell are party pistols? <laughs> Like, your like hands. with your hands? Your hands. Oh, okay. Yeah, Not can't... like actual like BB guns. Okay, like so it... so I'll have to take y'all snipe hunting sometime. Okay. It's uh, it's a real treat. You can only go snipe hunting, and they would take uh, only Weebelow Scouts can go snipe hunting. 
on you go on your first uh, jamboree, campery. And these are all words that I don't know, but continue. Well, in scouts, when you have like a big, when a bunch of scouts come together and they all camp, you call yeah. it like a jamboree campery. Yeah. Because it's multiple like cities, stuff like that. But you take the weeblos out, the parents, uh, the dads take the scoutmasters, take the weeblos out. You can only hunt snipe underneath a full moon. And for you to hunt snipe, <laughs> for you to hunt snipe, you have to be super quiet and you have to sneak up on it. You can't use lights. You can only use your ear and like guide by the moon. And you have to grab it. And when you grab it, you just yell out as loud as you can. I got a snipe. I got a snipe. What is a snipe? A snipe is a a small, really luminous bird that does not exist. Ah. So you send a bunch of, like, boys out into the woods to scare the shit out of them. To use their imagination. Yeah, to use your imagination. And then, like, more and more you figure out that snipe doesn't exist, you come back into camp. And then the last person that's left out there that's all alone underneath the moonlight is the snipe, and then you have to go and catch him. Oh, no! Nope! Nope, 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 no thank you. No way. uh, Nightmares. I would would probably scare myself into a fucking... Oh yeah, you comatose like, panic attack. Yeah. I've heard some some like blood curdling children's screams <laughs> of just like you guys, this isn't funny. Oh. Like yeah. you can like hear the break in the pitch, and then like you can hear tears. Like that's that's when you know it's visceral. It's like oh shit, we got to go get Joey. Mm. Joey's lost. Man, Poor Joey. I wish yeah. I had your woods when I was a kid. We just had a public park that occasionally had a dead prostitute in it. <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> Um, Buck, you've brought, you said you brought a couple of things yes, to show I us. Did. Yes, I did. So let's, let's haul out the show and tell here. Okay. See what is going on. Buck brought his backpack like a good student. Um. Also, I really admire your, the way you hold your sunglasses on your shirt. He tucks them into the top button of his shirt and then puts it in his pocket. So it's like so always they're sticking out a little bit. Oh. but also protected. I love it. Oh, here we go. Okay. There it is. Um. So the the hat I'm wearing is a Starkville Ford tractor and equipment hat. Yes. Uh, let's describe for the listeners. Um, it is a solid white cloth snapback uh, flat brimmed hat with a patch sewn onto it. Uh, it says in blue, like royal blue lettering, Starkville Ford tractor and equipment. And it's got the New Holland symbol, which is a uh, a blue tree with the branches and uh, stem white. And that is uh, my father and his father's tractor company. That's right, ladies and gents. Old Buck is the heir to a tractor dealership. <laughs> That's very. Uh, how did I never know this? Do you true. do you hide this from people because you don't want to sound like you, like you are a product of where you're from? I mean, I'm absolutely a product of where I'm from. Uh, where I'm from. That's why I'm I'm wearing this. The the tractor company no longer exists. Um, oh but no! But it was like my first kind of job. Like I grew up around there. Like that's how my family is known around. Like that's how the ball name is known around Starkville. Is like, oh, you're Charlie's boy. Oh, you're Tom's boy. Like, oh, I remember buying tractors from Charlie. Oh, I remember buying tractors from your dad. Oh, I remember buying tractors from David. Like whatever. It's always ball uh, equipment or whatever. That's like kind of the staple that was around there. Mm-hmm. For, so, um, did you grow up driving tractors? Uh, yeah. Like around sixth grade, I learned how to. My cool. sister, yeah, my sister owns a farm now, so like she is super handy. She grew up driving. Like she could do a stick shift by like sixth grade. That was how she learned. Was on tractors. Wow. How long uh, did this company last? How how what yeah, was what, the what time was the frame? downfall? Uh, well, the downfall was basically like New Holland Tractors lost a uh, distribution right. 
to the like North America, and it became all John Deere. And this was just specifically oh, fuck John a New Deere. Holland thing. Yeah. So they were um, just kind of phased out, and the company went down, and we just didn't want to switch over, and our sales dropped. And so it was just like, all right, close it out, sell the land. So that's what happened. But it lasted for, I mean, a long time. Like, that's always what um, my dad's dad did. So at least... A couple of generations. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, it was a company that they brought over from, like, as long as my dad was alive, and he worked it probably till he was 50. Wow. So something like that. Well, R.I.P. Holland. Yeah, yeah. What is it? I New mean, Holland is New Holland uh, like a name that 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 settlers made for Mississippi. What is New Holland? It's just a tractor company. But why? Oh, I I, <laughs> I, I, was I mean that? we can only assume. I, I don't know. New York from York. Yeah, I'm saying. You know, like so it's. Yeah, I I don't know. I know that they're an international company. Uh, they were bought by Ford, but then it, it something happened with it. I don't know. Um, but yeah. I know they're international. I don't think they're an American company. So were you slightly relieved to be off the hook of taking over a tractor company? I mean, I was never going to do that. So, like, (laughs) it it was whatever it was for me. But I was never really going to do that. I enjoyed being around the people and stuff like that. My dad and I would always go on road trips to, like, drop off and distribute parts. So that was a great way for me to see the country. I think I saw something like... I think my dad and I together alone saw something like 32 states. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Everywhere we went, uh, I had to go with him. It was non-negotiable. Like, mm-hmm. I was the shotgun navigator, all of that stuff, and we were getting, like, he had a commercial license. I remember him driving big trucks. Oh, dang. Yeah, we'd drive, like, huge trailer parts and uh, all over, like, the southeast, sometimes even to the northeast, because, mm-hmm. like I said, New Holland wasn't uh, an American distributed company. Right. So we had all the parts, so we'd have to take them to other places. Mm-hmm. So we made a lot of distribution drop-offs and things like that. And my dad really didn't like that so much because he was a journalist. Like, he only came back into working for the tractor company uh. to help his father. So Because he was away. He had made it out. And he was working for newspapers, and he was, like, a chief editor at and this point. And then he point. got pulled back into it. Yeah, it was just, like, kind of the necessary thing to do. He, mm-hmm. um, The paper that he was running at the time made a couple of critical errors, and he stepped down. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, because my mom wouldn't move. My mm-hmm. mom would not leave, will not leave Starkville, Mississippi. Is she from there originally? Yes. So that's, a, okay. Yeah. yeah, there are people in my town who are like that, just generations and generations of yeah. people from Guilford and very proud of it. Yeah, my parents met in fifth grade. My dad what? says, uh, yeah, they sat next to each other at the Sound of Music. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All so, right. So, yeah, that was the thing is my dad came back into it. I was never going to get stuck into it. I always said the first thing I was going to do when I turned 18 was leave. Yep, me too. Where did you want to go? Where where would you dream about going when you were while you were still in Mississippi? I mean, honestly, here here in New York, like just just somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I started it in Atlanta, and I was like, okay, I like this. I can do this. I've got a feel for it. Like I can at least, you know, Atlanta's a big city. It's a couple million people. I can do this. I can get out and meet people. All right, all mm-hmm. right, try that. And then it just kind of kept getting bigger to the point where it was like, all right, L.A. or New York, mm-hmm. and this is where I wanted to be. So I left. And I came here, and I, I've i been really happy. I've had my, my shit kicked in about a dozen times, but I still wouldn't trade it for anything else because of who the city's made me, who the city's introduced me to, and who this city has shown me uh, I can be. Like, this, if anything good is going to happen for me, it's going to be out here. Hmm. That's, and you have a really good instinct, I think, to know that. Like, you – I mean, yeah. I failed so much. Well, but yeah. – but, that's helpful. If anybody is, first of all, if anybody is going to take failure well, it's you. And you're really, really great at turning these quote-unquote failures 
into these amazing stories of learning experiences. Well, thank you. I mean, I try. I, I mean, try. a lot of people just let it, you know, embitter them and turn them into like crusty old crabs. But like you, uh, you find the funny in them, and that's what's so amazing. I mean, and the beauty. Oh, sweet. Thank too. you. That's so sweet, Lisa. You know yeah. it's true. I mean, I try. Like, yeah. That's yeah. You know, I've I've been in places where I didn't uh, try and utilize a sense of humor or humility with it, and. It's just, it never worked. Like, it only makes things worse, for me at least. If you can use that as a coping mechanism to help yourself, that's fine. But for me, it always has to just be like, well, fuck, what's next? You know? That's <laughs> you right. Know? That's right. That's right. Um, and you, you brought one other item that I don't want to let it fall by the wayside here. Oh, uh, yes. Oh. I brought a, what? Before we do, I have to fill my meter. What? Yeah, I'm about to, it's about to expire. So let me refill the meter. Is it cool if we pause real quick? Uh, okay. I should have waited. Okay. Okay. We're, we return. And now Buck has pulled out artifact number two, which is a photograph in an old school, like, wood frame with a, a brass um, plaque underneath that says, Thank you for coaching, 2003. And he looks so earnest, and his hair is so shaggy. So shaggy. He looks like such a nice boy that, that you could trust with kids. So, Buck, you when we were uh, when we paused for a moment, you mentioned that this this picture is a totem for you. What's the deal? It is okay. So this is one of the things that uh, is honestly one of the I'm most proud of. When I was a junior and like sophomore, junior, senior in high school, I started coaching six and eight year old boys uh, to kind of just teach them soccer because it's something that did so much for me. Like, growing up, I was always playing soccer. That was always what I was doing, no matter what, was playing soccer. If I wasn't in the house or at school, I was playing soccer. It, or watching soccer, or studying soccer. It meant so, it still means so much to me because it's such a, a beautiful gift. And I just really wanted to bring that to Starkville because Starkville did not have a really great system for, for soccer. And I thought, you know, if you, you just start coaching and teaching and kind of planting seeds, it'll help. And I started coaching these, like, six- and eight-year-old boys. Wait, and you invented the soccer system in Starkville, Mississippi? No, I didn't invent it. Um, but, like, I, it was already pretty well established. I just wanted to do more for it than yeah. just having it just be basic. Like, yep. nobody was really teaching any technique or doing stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's like, oh, yeah, kids, just go play. And I was always doing camps and stuff like that. So I was like, no, let's try and establish, like, actual technique or rhythm or rubric to it instead of it just being kids running around kicking a ball. Like, let's teach them how to pass. Like, let's teach them how to communicate on the field. Like, it's a team game. There's however many people are on the mm-hmm. field. That's however many people that you're bonded to. So I was really big onto that. And, like, watching one of my proudest moments, like, our team destroyed every – oh, God. We were so good. Congrats. Like, oh, yeah. Like, that's what made me so proud is this team actually won as far as you could go. We were the champions of the county. And, like, they were too young to go to state. But, like, they, they drummed people. And, it, like, to one point we made a team cry. And I didn't mean for that to happen because <laughs> – well, like, it, we were just, like, connecting passes. When you see six- and eight-year-olds connect passes, like, there were two or three goals throughout the season where it was three passes forward to score, like, somebody wide wow. open. And, we could, like, we were so good we could distribute who would score. It'd be like, okay, Clark, it's your turn to score. All right, Clark, go. Jameson, it's your turn to score. Go play up top. Like, Austin, it's your turn to score. Like, we could distribute the ball that well. Like, it, even to the point where one kid on our team, Austin, this guy right here, mm-hmm. was, he played college ball. He, he's so fast. 
Like, he would fly and just take off. And, like, he was so far ahead. He already scored three goals. And I was like, Austin, wait. It's not your turn. And he just stopped, and he froze. And he waited for the other team to come and get the ball, and they kicked it in. And he started crying. And he was like, I'm so sorry. He was like, I didn't know. Like, he just ran over to me in my arms and cried. And I was like, it's okay, buddy. Like, you can score. It's fine. It's fine. I'm proud of you. It's okay. Oh, my God. And, like, the kids loved it so much. Like, they still talk about it anytime I go back to town. Like, a lot of their parents. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, their parents know my parents. Things like that work with them. But this is, like, always what I go back and check in on because I I have a lot of uh, self-image issues and also a lot of, like, mental health issues and self-worth issues and everything like that. Same, same, same. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of of mental health uh, is not good for me right now or ever. So whenever I have a bad day or, like, I'm really down on myself or, like, you know, just, just want to kick myself in the guts, I'll, I'll go in and check in with this and be like, you were capable of this at one point. And that's why I really love teaching is when you get somebody, like, when you work with people that are young and fresh and new to something, you both learn simultaneously because they're learning from you and you're learning from them learning. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love doing, like, intro to storytelling and, like, talking things out like that is because mm-hmm. you learn so much about people by watching them learn. And I think that's, like, the infinite loop that life should be built upon is, is learning about yourself through learning about other people. And I, I love that, and that's why I love teaching and coaching. That's always just been kind of a natural thing for me. Oh, uh, I love it. See? You're like fucking Buddha. <laughs> uh, well. There had to be some Buddha element. Buck. You help these kids. Like, I used to play soccer at that age. It is impossible to connect passes and determine who's going to score that you were able to do that with this ragtag group of uh, six to eight-year-olds really says something about your character. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think so. A couple of those kids went on in one state as adults, so that makes me feel pretty good. Um, Hell yeah, man. I love that you're still in touch with them. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, like like I said, Starkville's a small town, so like you go home and it's like, oh, Buckball's back. Like, you know, they'll see me shitty in a bar or something like that, and they'll come and be like, hey, man, you coach me soccer. And it's like for the fact that they remember that is makes me feel so much better about it like that's why i've never gotten rid of that like that thing's made it through everything with me because when i go back like these kids still come up and they're like hey i don't know if you remember me but i'm jameson and i'm like yeah jameson i remember you little shithead (laughs) and he's i was like are you still a shithead and he's like yeah yeah he's like i just want to see if you remember me and i was like yeah i remember you man are you well is your family good and he's like yeah yeah everybody's good and i was like that's good man thank you for saying hello i really appreciate it because like i did like i i knew those kids well like, they all could spot me out of a lineup. I'm sure two of them, their dads were cops, did. <laughs> <laughs> but even now, I, I, watching the people, the, the storytelling students that you that you coach, one I live with and others that I am friends with, when I see them at Mike's now, there is so much more control and uh, narrative cohesion in their stories. And a spirit that isn't, not an academic spirit, but one that, you know, can't be taught, that I feel like comes from you, from you guiding these people into these, into the places where they can be wild free and also somewhat controlled so they could tell these stories very well. Oh, that's, and I, thank you, Phil. And I think that, yeah, I, I think that you've never lo- lost sight. And it's maybe not because you've had this, but also because that's just who you are. Um, mental issues be damned. I mean, with all of You plant a campfire in people's hearts. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now, Buck, I can't believe how perfect this. Okay, so I I give a gift to all my guests, as you know, because you've been to the show, and uh, I just knew this was going to be the right one, and I didn't know why, and now I so do. So for you, Buck, from the childhood bedroom of Lisa Mandel, I have a hot pink golf ball. 
It says Flying Lady on it with a four was my lucky number and a red stripe around it. At a ball for Buckball. But I didn't know you were going to bring a soccer thing. Here's the deal with this ball. My family belonged to this um, country club for a little while when I was little in Woodbridge, Connecticut. Uh, not as fancy as you think. Um, but I did have my bat mitzvah there. Um, and Ooh. we went for the, for the pool, basically. But there was a big golf course on there, too. And when we stayed after pool hours and we're going to go to dinner, um, I would wander around the, um, uh, the golf course and, like, pick up spare balls. Most of them I returned because they were boring. But this one is hot pink. So it is for you. I love this. Thank you so much. This is so great, Lissa. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I you know, I, it's kind of random, but, like, um, you were, you know, my That's coach, perfect. too. It's a very buck ball. It's a very it, buck it ball. Very much it is. is. I love pink. Pink is one of my favorite colors to wear. Perfect. I love this so Terrific. much. Perfect. Thank you. I love it. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, you man. guys, Buckball, if you live in Los Angeles and you are a storyteller, uh, you should know who this man is. You should take his classes. He's the fucking best. And um, Buck, we're going to have to have you back because I know that you have stories of setting houses on fire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is a lot that. of stuff. But, um, but uh you know, maybe next week I'll check in with you. I hope so. I love you. I love you too. Love you I love too, you, Bill. And for the listeners, you know, treasure, treasure what got, got you here. here. Did I say it or did you say it? Is that my will? I don't know. It was mind meld. Mind meld. That was so much fun. Thank y'all so much. Oh, you're so- History's greatest artistic works. Citizen Kane, Hamlet, the Flare Steamboat Trilogy. We'll only be discussing one of these on our new podcast, The Best There Ever Was. We discuss the art of professional wrestling and the emotional connection that brings us back. On season one, we're talking about the greatest matches ever by members of the WWE Hall of Fame. But definitely not Coco Beware. I'm Facts. And I'm Chris. And join us, the Curtain Jerk, as we discuss wrestling's greatest matches on The Best There Ever Was on the Atlantic Transition Network. This has been an Atlantic Transition production. Hey!